Hello, and welcome to another message from Aldinga Bay Baptist Church. If you'd like to find out more about us or what we believe, please visit aldingabaybaptist.org.au. Well, here we are. It's uh, officially the first Sunday of Lent, and uh, we're heading, we're continuing this series, Footsteps of the King. We worked, we've been through a number of steps so far, Advent, uh, Christmas, Epiphany, and now we're at Lent. I reckon, I don't know about, don't know about you, uh, depending on your background, but if you're like me, growing up in a Baptist church, Lent was not a word we used a lot. It wasn't something that we thought a lot about. And uh, yet for many people, for those that have come from uh, a church with more liturgical background, it is something which is a big part of things. And it is something that's really helpful, I think. So it's not been part of our background so much, but it is something that's really helpful. And that's why we wanted to stop and work our way through the church calendar and do this series. So you think about Lent, it's really the 40 days leading up to Easter. And uh, in that time, it's about helping us get our mindset around Jesus going to the cross and all that that meant for him and also what it means for us as Christians, what it means to follow Jesus, uh, what it means to live like him in the light of all that he has done. So in that sense, it's a really good thing to stop and just prepare our hearts for Easter. Sometimes I think as Aussies, we can, even as Aussie Christians, we can jump into Easter. It's great. It's a four-day long weekend and Jesus gets a vague mention or a vague reflection, but it should be a lot more than that. And this helps us with that. This text is also a great text to look at uh, in the book of Luke because anybody that is an expert of the book of Luke, which I'm not, but I've read a few experts on it, uh, anyone that's an expert on the book of Luke will tell you that uh, this passage is really the hinge in Luke's gospel. The first half or chapter, first nine and a half chapters of Luke is about Jesus' Galilean ministry. It's about, it's about Jesus' um, and all that he did, you know, who he was, the things we looked at during Epiphany. And then the last half from, from this passage on, this is very, there's, a, there's a text in there or one verse in there where it says, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. And that's the hinge right there. What it's telling you is from this point on, Jesus' face set to Jerusalem equals Jesus' face set toward the cross. He is headed there. And everything else that happens in the book of Luke after that point in time is really about Jesus and what he's doing and his priorities on the way to the cross. I think that's really good. It's important. Jesus is different to us, isn't he? That's the thing about it. In our world, what we're told is to, you know, I suppose, follow your dreams, set your compass around your emotions and the things that you really want to do. That's what we're told as a society. And if there's no God, then I guess that's fair enough because you want to just do whatever you can to be as happy as you can. But Jesus is really different to that, isn't it? Because he's come to do the will of his Father, his heavenly Father. He is the second person of the Trinity and there is more to this world than meets the eye. So Jesus doesn't just follow his dreams. He doesn't set his compass around his emotions, but he sets his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus goes to the cross. We know that, but the question for us this morning that I want us to think about, the all-important question is, what does that mean for us as followers of Jesus? What is he calling us to do in the light of that? That's what Lent's about, helping us to think about those things, to repent and to come to him and see him for who he is. So, 
Lots of things you could answer that question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? But there's just two things I want to pick up in on in this passage today. One is about humble service. That's what we're called to, following Jesus, about humble service. And then secondly, it's a, the idea of abandonment, of those things that we hold most precious and those things that we, we, we cherish the most, abandonment, even of those things. So it kind of sounds heavy, doesn't it? Um, but it is. You know, that's the thing about it. It is actually a little bit heavy. It's good to stop and reflect on that and think about it. So first point uh, is about uh, humble service. And this is how the passage goes. Let me just walk you through some of the Bible reading rather than reading it again. But Jesus, last week's sermon, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. Nigel preached that. Uh, he's come down. And the very first thing that happens in Luke's gospel is he's met by a man that has a son who is unwell. He's demon-possessed. And no one's been able to help this son. And the short version of the story is that Jesus does. He casts out the demon and the boy is made well. And what happens next is that everybody is amazed you know, at Jesus, as you would be. You know. Look at him. Look what he can do. And people are marvelling at all that Jesus has done. Not just that probably, but everything, because that's exactly what Jesus is like, time after time after time. And so in some ways, I think, well, that's probably like another mountaintop experience in some ways, isn't it? I mean, Jesus is here and the world is at his feet. People are just gathered around him. They're singing his praises. But the thing that's really interesting is that Jesus isn't interested in the world in the way that they're willing to give it to him. So the very next thing that Jesus says is he in the midst of that, you know, he turns to his disciples and he says to them, let these words sink into your ears. So it's a pretty strong statement. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Ah, that's powerful. It's saying again that Jesus is going to the cross. So Luke's going with all of this in his passage. Jesus is headed that way. Let these words sink into your ears. But the thing about it with this passage, isn't it? It's kind of humorous. The disciples completely miss it. Such an obvious statement, you know, but they completely miss it. These, word, these words are concealed. You think, why? I don't know exactly all that that means. You know, how come they're concealed? It's pretty straightforward. It seems that Jesus wants them to understand it, but they don't get it. And maybe it's partly, no doubt, it's partly because this whole idea of a suffering Messiah is so foreign to them that you know, they just can't fathom it. But what's really interesting about this passage is you keep on reading through it, is it just goes from there straight on to an argument that the disciples are having amongst themselves as to who is the greatest. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's, uh, there's this great irony there. Here's Jesus going to the cross and here's the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. I reckon when I thought about this this week, I thought to myself, you know, it's interesting how Luke compiles the Gospel of Luke. I mean, how come this thing happens next where they're arguing about amongst themselves? Well, maybe it's exactly the next thing that happened. Maybe it's not exactly the next thing that happened. I don't know because you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and they have the same stories, but they don't always exactly flow the same way. They, you know, they, they tell it in a different way. So what is happening here is that Luke wants us to know that this is what happens next. But he also really is telling the story in this way because he's trying to tell us something about the way the disciples think. And no doubt he's trying to tell us something about the way that we think. And the thing that we think is this, you know, is that the disciples 
I read this, I reckon a lot of us read this and we say, are these disciples? You know, crazy bunch of critters they are, aren't they? I mean, look at them. They're like children. Are they just arguing amongst themselves? And, you know, they seem so unsophisticated, so crass. That's how you can think about the disciples. And they're kind of pitched that way. It's easy to think that way about the disciples. But then I think to myself, well, maybe actually, this is probably, maybe it is a little bit more sophisticated. Maybe they're even a little bit more sophisticated in what we give them credit for. Because this is just a summary. We don't actually get the words of what they're arguing about. You know, it's just a summary. They were arguing about who is going to be the greatest amongst them. And I think to myself, well, I remember, was it mum that used to say for every finger that's pointing out there, there's three fingers pointing back at you. There's probably a lesson for me in this as well. What does it look like, you think? What does it look like to be arguing amongst yourselves about who's the greatest? This is a really good uh, thing to talk about because it's clearly what Luke wants us to think about. Here's Jesus going to the cross and here's the disciples arguing about who's the greatest. We're supposed to follow after Jesus and as his followers and to learn what he's like and to be like him, right? So this is a good point. What What does it look like when we're arguing about who's the greatest? Well, I reckon that... It's a good question for us to ask. And probably it starts with, what does it mean someone's the greatest? What do we mean by being the greatest? Well, I think, well, probably being the greatest is about being someone that's really honoured, isn't it? Somebody that is is held in high regard. You know, people look at them and they say, this person, you know, they are such a good person. You know, they... They're great at this or, you know, they're great at that. Whatever it is that you're good at, you know, put your name there. You know, we can be pretty competitive beasts sometimes. I think I am. You know, Andrew's quite competitive, likes to uh, try and do well at things. I've got a reputation. I just saw an eye roll from a friend there. You know, there's, um, I, I can be competitive. And I think, why are we like that? Well, I suppose because we want to be great. And sometimes we want to be great because it's about our identity. It's about our worth. You know, I've got to, my life's got to mean something. I've got to, you know, there's got to be something about me that stands out so that I can prove, you know, in some ways prove my existence or, you know, justify my existence in this world. I think that's probably what goes on in our own minds to a certain degree when it comes to greatness. You know, we're looking for something to say, this is what's so good about me. And then, what do you reckon? I reckon arguments about greatness flow out of that, don't they? They flow out of that because people don't always give us the credit that we think that we deserve. And we think, you know, they, they walk over us. You know, criticism goes hand in glove with arguments about greatness. When people say things about you, you think that's not right. You get all uptight and, and one thing and another. And I think actually probably we're all a bit like this. You know, these disciples arguing about who's the greatest. What well, the problem is, is that we get in the way we, we all get in the way. You know, we, we're filled with ourselves and it stops us from serving God properly because there's too much of ourselves in things. So this is a good text for me. This is probably a good text for you as well because it's just something that I struggle with all the time. And notice what Jesus does in this passage. You know, it just flows right through. Here's Jesus. I'm about to be delivered over into the hands of sinful men. The disciples arguing about who's the greatest And then Jesus pulls over a child and in verse 48, he says this, whoever receives this child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is the least among you all 
is the one who is the greatest. What's Jesus saying there? You know, you can picture it, maybe he pulls over this little child and the idea seems to be just this small child. And it's probably, I think Jesus is really telling us two things here about the way that we're to conduct ourselves as followers of his. As we think about him going to the cross, the way that we're supposed to conduct ourselves. I think he's telling us two things. One, Jesus is telling us that greatness is not about how great we really are or what it is that we have achieved or can achieve, but rather it's more, greatness is more about association. It's who we belong to. Because here's this little child. That's the thing about it. The thing about children in their culture and in our culture today, some things don't really change, although it's a very different world to ours, their culture, but some things don't change, do they? I reckon for all of us, we look at a little child and we love them, but we also say they haven't achieved anything. There's nothing really great about them. They haven't had time to. They can barely even write their name. You know, they, they may not be able to write their name. There's nothing great about this child as far as achievements go. But they are loved because, in this case, this child's worth is amplified because Jesus has just put his, his arms around this child and brought it to himself. And that's exactly it for us as well. It's probably true of the disciples. I think, you know, they're arguing about the greatest. They probably do understand this part of it that they belong to Jesus. And when they're arguing about the greatest, they might be arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom to come because they certainly do that at other times. I know that Jesus is coming to start his kingdom. They belong to him. They have a special place in that. Who's going to be the greatest in that kingdom? So all of that to say that, you know, they probably understand this, but we're supposed to understand it right now as well. And that is that true greatness there's nothing really to do with what you accomplished, but it's got absolutely everything to do with who you belong to. And that's the story that resounds through the Bible again and again. In fact, I was looking at it during the week and I just turned the page in Luke's gospel and here it is. Jesus sends out the 70 in this case to go and cast out demons and do all sorts of things and they come back and they just, you know, they just... Uh, on top of the world because everything that's happened. And Jesus turns to them and says these words, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in these things, that the spirits are sub subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written down in heaven. So, yes, that's what's so great. The thing that, that uh, for all of us, which gives us our worth and our value, is that we are people, if we, if we know Jesus, that we are God's children, that we are loved by him and nothing can change that whatsoever. That's so important. That's what gives you your worth. That's what gives you your value. And that's what also frees you up. Because the next thing that happens in this passage is that then, you know, Jesus tells us in this passage that the greatest is, are those that are the least. And then he takes this child and he says, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. So it's about service, isn't it? The thing is that we're loved by God and it frees us up so that we can serve others. You know, in serving another person, Jesus is saying, you are serving Jesus. You are serving God. Every time you go to somebody else, it's about doing it unto God because you love him. And that's, and that's the very thing that really I suppose that's the very thing that the gospel itself is all about, isn't it? Jesus goes to the cross 
die for us, for the sins of the world, he makes himself nothing. And as Christians, the call on our lives is to do exactly the same. So it's good to hear about foster care today, isn't it? To, to serve other people. So we're called to as Christians. It's a point probably that we know well. It's a point probably that I don't need to labour too much, but it's a point that we need to hear because we always take it back. You know, people treat us badly and we say, I've had enough of them. I'm walking away. I'm not going to serve them anymore. You know, or we, we look at our finances and we say, well, I need this and I need that. I've got school fees to pay. I need a new car. I've got the mortgage. And yeah, it's all true. But we hold on to it ourselves and we're not generous. We don't give it away. We don't live in a way, live below our means so we can be generous toward others. But that's what we're called to do. So you think this is, this is something which is pretty much Christianity 101 in some ways, isn't it? The idea that we're to be a servant. But I think we know that in our heads, but when it comes to the practicality, it's very easy to walk away from things. Jesus is our great example. He goes to the cross. He goes all the way for us, and we do the same for others. So that's it. The first point is about humble service. Here we have disciples arguing. Here we have Luke recording Luke's gospel the way that he records it for very good reason because he's trying to teach us something as we stop and reflect on Lent, on Easter, what it means for us. So what does that mean for you? I think that's the practical question. What changes do you need to make in your own life? Are there people that you need to go to that you've given up on? Are you being a bit selfish with your time? Is it all about yourself and not really giving out to others? Are you being a bit selfish with your money? You know, how's it going in those ways? That's what we're called to. It's a good challenge. Always a really good challenge, that one, isn't it? Uh, and it? And it's something that we need to be prayerful about and come to God on. The second point of this passage, I want to just go to the last story. It's a story that's about abandonment. Let me flick over to the, the next page where it says this. I'll read it again. As they were going along the road, someone said to Jesus, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, listen to these words, just really make sure you just think about what's being said here. To another, Jesus said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Well, that sounds reasonable. But Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet to another, the man says, I'll follow you, Lord. But first, let me go and say farewell to those at home. Well, again, it sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? But Jesus says to him, no one who puts the hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not hard to miss when you're listening to those words that Jesus seems really unreasonable. There's something jarring about those words intentionally, aren't there? You know, Jesus, he just doesn't seem to be reasonable at all. Jesus, let me go bury my father. You know, Jesus, let me go and say farewell to my family. We kind of want to soften these words a little bit when we hear them. And I, I think that, uh, and, and certainly there's been attempts at softening them. 
uh, and maybe they're legitimate as well. Like the, the story of Jesus, let me go bury my father uh, in that culture. It could be thought that uh, dad's not even dead at this point in time. He's just ageing. He's maybe going to be dead in a few years. And this man is saying, I just need to stay around at home until, you know, dad passes on and, you know, bury him and then I'll come and follow you. And, and so, oh, maybe that's what's going on. And it could be. I, I don't exactly know, but I, I, I tend to think it's not what's going on. I think Jesus is saying something here as Jesus often says something. It's jarring and it's shocking. And people are saying, hang on a minute, that doesn't seem reasonable at all. But Jesus, if you think about the Gospels, it's true, isn't it? He has a tendency to say this from time to time, say something that really jars you and really shocks you and makes you think, hang on a minute, that just doesn't seem reasonable. I mean, again, I turn over in Luke's Gospel a couple more pages and here's Jesus saying exactly the same type of thing again. This is one of those classic passages. Jesus saw the great crowds coming after him. This is Luke 14. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Oh, that's jarring. It seems really unreasonable, Jesus. I mean, it's, it's over the top. And again, we explain it away. Well, hate, you know, it's, it's kind of like it's the opposite of love. You know, it's our love, you know, for Jesus has to be, you know, like hatred toward everybody else. And yeah, that is what's being said. But still, I reckon Jesus could have said that in a much softer way. You know, he could have said that in a way that was just a lot easier for people to hear. Ah, oh, but he doesn't because he's being intentional. He is telling you something. As, we head to, as we're in Lent, as we head toward Easter, he's telling you something. He is telling you that he is the one who demands our allegiance, our allegiance. You think, why does he do that? Well, the truth of the matter is because of who he is. You know, Jesus is the son of man. He is the son of God who took on human flesh and came to earth for us. And he will not, he will not take second place. It's important to hear. You know, that's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Don't we say Jesus is Lord? And that's exactly what's going on here. See, when we say it's so important to actually say Jesus is Lord because it's all about repentance. You know, you'll never repent unless you believe that Jesus is Lord and you'll never be saved unless you repent because it's about coming to Jesus and saying, Jesus, I realise that at the end of the day, I've been living for myself and you are king. And I need to live for you. And that's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. That's why he says that. But there's another question that I've got of this passage as well. I think I can understand, you know, Jesus is king. I can buy into that because that's the gospel. You know, he's, he is the second person of the Trinity. He says something really shocking. You know, let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. He says all of that. But why should I do it? So I reckon that's still an important question. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to walk away from those things that matter the most to me? You know what? And they're good things, a lot of them. Family are a very good thing. Why would I want to walk away from those things and follow after Jesus? That's a really good question. And I reckon one of the best answers to that question 
surely one of the best answers to that question is because Jesus makes everything better. Seems pretty simple, but I think it's true in a really profound way. Jesus makes everything better. That's how it goes in this passage, actually, all the way through as you look at these stories. He just makes it better. There's a lot of rebuking that's going on. I was reading the Bible, this passage, with uh, a couple of friends during the week, and I said, what do you reckon that's saying? And one person said, there's a lot of rebuking going on in that passage. Oh, there is, you know, because Jesus, he makes all things better. That's how it goes, you know, the story about we're the greatest. We've already just looked at that. And Jesus rebukes them and he actually shows them a better way, you know. And so Jesus does make it better. Then I carry on and I, there's a passage that Matthew read that we skipped over, but Jesus goes through Samaria. He's got his face set to Jerusalem. He's headed there, heading to the cross. And what happens when he gets to Samaria? Well, they're the enemies of the Jews and they reject Jesus and they won't bring him in. And the disciples say, because they've, they've realised they've got some authority, they say, Jesus, let us cool down fire from heaven and consume them. Like, ah. But what does Jesus say? He rebukes them. It's, in some manuscripts, he says, you don't know what spirit you have within you. Because Jesus isn't on about calling down fire from heaven and consuming them. He's on the way to the cross to die for them, to save them. See, Jesus makes all things better, doesn't he? You know, following Jesus is altogether better. It's a better outcome. It's a better way of life. It's a better future for this world because we are headed for judgment. But Jesus makes things better, folks. He always does. And so why would you, why would you want to follow him? even though it means forsaking things that matter so much to you. Because he is the, to put it in Matthew's language, the gospel writer Matthew, he is the pearl of great price. That's it, isn't it? The man is a pearl merchant and he goes and sells everything he has to buy the pearl of great price because of its great infinite value. That's true. That's what Jesus is. Why forsake everything? Because he is the pearl of great price. He changes everything and he makes all things good. I, I think about that. I was thinking about this week and I was reflecting and I thought, you know, the advantage of following Jesus. We live in a world that's throwing the gospel out and it doesn't even know what it's throwing away. That's true. There's a line from Greg Sheridan's book. You know, God is good for you. He talks about that. He says, this world is throwing the gospel out, but it doesn't even realise what the gospel is. It does not even understand what it's throwing away. And that's true. It hasn't even given it any thought. We're so used to Twitter accounts with how many characters, 140 or something. We don't even think deeply. It's just catchy statements that don't present anything of great value. There's so much depression. There's so much anxiety in this world. And following Jesus is not a cure rule for that. But I tell you what, it makes a difference. If you're not a Christian, it's a pretty lonely place to be in this world, isn't it? You haven't got anybody to talk to. As simple as that. You might have some friends, maybe, if they're available, but you don't have anybody to talk to. There's nobody there all the time, every moment of every day that you can turn to. There is no Bible that you can pick up 
to tell you of the love of God. There are no Psalms to read through that tell you how you can cry out to God from the depths of your heart. It's a pretty lonely place to be. Jesus makes all things better. To quote Greg Sheridan, I I grabbed a little quote from his book that was talking about those things, and he says this. He says, the lack of purpose and meaning, the lack of any ultimate standards that come with the exile of God from our culture lead to savage polarizations and sudden outbursts of hysterical sentiments. There is no ground below us, and above us there is only darkness. For without God, human beings are no longer unique and universal, no longer special in nature. They are just one more chancy outcrop of the planet and its biosphere. Ultimately, no more worthy of consideration than a cockroach. If we lose God, we lose something essential to our humanity. It's a good little quote, isn't it? That's it. You know, it's we're just this chancy outcrop. We mean nothing. There's no heaven above us. It's just darkness, no hell beneath us. Nothing really makes sense. Nothing means anything. See, why would you want to follow Jesus? Why is he the pearl of great price? Why forsake everything and give your utter loyalty to Jesus? Because he makes everything better. Because there is truth, there is life, and that is what makes sense. So Lent, it's an opportunity, isn't it, to stop and prepare our hearts for Easter, to hear who Jesus is, and to hear what it is that he's calling us to. He's calling us to humble service, to not make it about ourselves, but to serve others and to sacrifice. Because in sacrificing and serving others, we're serving God. And we can do that because we don't have to be on about our own position and trying to justify our existence. We are loved by God and that's enough. And then we give our loyalty to Jesus because he is everything and that's where life is found. So as Christians, we set our eyes on a new horizon. We look to a different hill. We trust in Jesus and we know that that is where life is found. So for Lent, it's an opportunity, as we, I, I believe Nigel touched on a bit last week about, it's an opportunity to fast if you want to. It's an opportunity to do something different, but it's, not, it's really an opportunity to make sure that I think more than anything, you are thinking about the gospel. I don't know if everybody here, I doubt it, that everybody here reads their Bible every day, but this is a good opportunity to do that. This is a good opportunity to form a new habit. And I was thinking, well, Luke's gospel, what is it, 24 chapters long? 40 days of Lent, well, you just about read half a chapter a day and you'll be at Easter, right at the right place, leading up to Easter. Why don't you take on a challenge like that? Prepare your hearts for the cross in order that you might be changed. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for this beautiful text, so much in it. And we've just really scraped the surface perhaps in some ways. But I pray that you would speak into our lives. Help us to set our gaze in a different place to where this world tells us to set it and to live for you in spite of our failings, in spite of how we've messed up. Know this forgiveness because of the Son of God who came and died for us, rose victorious. Help us to repent 
let you be king over everything and follow you to the ends of this world. And we know, Lord, that if we do that, that you're inclined to bless and use our lives to make a difference for your glory. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.